The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, that's a little bit more like it. I feel like this particular victory feels different than other victories that you've had recently in the Buffalo Bills content creation and media and fan base, and social media space, the hive mind, the pressure cooker, whatever it is you want to call it. The space feels different. The space feels different because I'm not entirely sure this feeling has been this feeling since the Bills defeated the Indianapolis Colts to win their first playoff game in what seemed like forever. I think that's how long it's been since this feeling was back. Because as we've talked about, how and why are more important than what, and how and why you win are more important than you won. This victory, although it is smaller in margin than the victory last week against the Miami Dolphins, feels better. Why? Because of the way Josh Allen and the offense looked. After two markedly below average performances to open the year, Josh Allen exploded against the Washington football team. When I went back and rewatched the game, I came across two individual throws where I was like, eh, eh, don't, don't do that, Josh. Two. When you throw 40 plus passes every single game, if two of them are, eh, that probably wasn't very good. Don't do that. That's a pretty good ratio. Because I don't know if you've watched Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and Deshaun Watson recently. Elite quarterbacks. But they have two out of 40, two out of 45 that make you go, "Mm." and that's a perfectly reasonable ratio. Josh Allen was very, 
very good against the Washington football team. So good that now, given the fact that three games is a trend, think about it from Washington football team standpoint. That's now three games of markedly underperforming after the defense was very good last year, added talent this year, was in the second year of Chase Young, and has markedly, markedly underperformed their expectations. So we look at three games and go, okay, three games is a trend. Josh Allen's not cause for concern. They look at three games and go, okay, it's been three games. The defense hasn't been good. What the heck is going on? The Buffalo Bills were one below average game from Josh Allen away from being with him where the Washington football team fans are with their defense, which is, okay, what's going on? If you ascribe to the belief that three games is a trend, which I do, there's a reason why I believe three games is a trend. And it's because the magic happens in the third game, like we already said. It's a funny joke. You know, sometimes you drop something on the floor, use the five-second rule. If you miss the five seconds, then sometimes you have to change it to the 10-second rule. I almost had to change it to four games is a trend. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't ever be intellectually dishonest like that. On a related note, I am planning on doing QB stew calculations after four games this year. So I am not doing it after the three games that is the trend. I'll do it after four. Now, previously, four broke it down into nice quarters of the season. Four, 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 four. This year, I might need to do four, 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 five because they screwed me up and they decided that they were going to add a 17th game, which I'm still not a huge fan of. But that's the plan for QB Stew this particular year. So let's talk about some narratives that have come out of the game against the Washington football team. Obviously, Josh Allen is the big one, the bounce back from Josh Allen, the sigh of relief from a lot of the fan base. But I want to focus on something else in this particular podcast. We've been talking a lot about breakout watch candidates this particular year for the Buffalo Bills. Dawson Knox, Edmonds, Cody Ford, Ed Oliver, people who we thought had an opportunity to break out who have been here. When you go into the year and your team is very similar from a personnel standpoint to the way it was last year, the biggest opportunity for improvement is improvement on the players who are already on the team. Improvement from within, as it were. And one of the players that was a big focus this particular offseason was tight end Dawson Knox. And I want to talk a little bit about tight end Dawson Knox because I feel like it's part of the narrative a little bit this week, but I feel like it should be bigger. So I went and did some digging. I wrote an article for buffalorumblings.com on it, and we're going to talk a little bit about Dawson Knox. Why was he part of the narrative? Well, part of it, is because I think that we were expecting a bigger jump from him in year two and we didn't get it. Expectation minus reality equals disappointment. And then we took that disappointment and we turned it into action. Okay, let's go do something, right? Let's trade for Zach Ertz. Dawson Knox was front and center for a lot of offseason discussions. Should we draft one? Should we start the clock over again? Now it's been three games and Knox hasn't exactly been a breakout star after three games but he is performing at a much more efficient rate than his previous reputation would indicate. I think we need to start talking about Dawson Knox's reputation differently because I feel like a lot of stuff carried over from his rookie year 
And then despite the fact that the evidence pointed us in a different direction, we continued on with the narrative. We talked about this a little bit last week, that narratives and reputations are hard to break when they are foundationally built on small sample size. If it's just one year and you've already decided what Dawson Knox is, then you might be blinded to any change. You think he's still the guy from his rookie year when in reality, he's not. He has 10 catches on 12 targets, which is an 83.33% catch rate for 107 yards, 10.7 yards per reception, and two touchdowns. His jump in catch rate from 2019, which was 56%, and 2020, which is 54.5%, is the big jump. The really big jump. I mean, 83% now, 54%, 56%. I mean, it's a big jump. But, sneakily, yards per route run, 1.19, also career high. So, lest we think that a three-game sample size isn't enough, even though we already established it's a trend. Well, Bruce, it's not enough. Joe Marino of the Draft Network was nice enough to compile the numbers on the last 12 games. So four times what is necessary to be a trend, including the playoffs. Seven touchdown catches, 74% catch percentage, 133.75 passer rating when targeted, and a 4% drop rate. Listen, it has been well documented at this point that Dawson Knox was a converted quarterback who barely ran routes as a receiver in college. He was a raw lump of clay coming into the league who never caught a touchdown. But as we see him start to improve, what can we reasonably expect from him? Okay, so if three games is a trend and 12 games, four trends, then okay, he's moving in the right direction. What am I going to see from him that's going to make me not put tight end on the needs list? Because that's an extremely popular piece of content in the offseason. As you get ramped up to free agency, top 10 needs, top 5 needs, everyone does it. I will probably do it. Why? Because people like it. Consumers like it. We've been establishing already on this podcast that occasionally I will do things I don't like to do because the consumers like it. Mock drafts, they like to do it. They like them. Consumers like mock drafts. Consumers like draft grades. Consumers like needs lists. Consumers love lists and tiers. They love them. They love them. So we're going to do them. But what could I do if I'm Dawson Knox to prevent showing up on those lists? I don't want to have tight end be at the top of the list. So what do I have to do? Because we can all say, well, you got to be Travis Kelsey, but that's not reasonable. Travis Kelsey is going to go down as one of the greatest tight ends in the history of football. And quite frankly, the Darren Wallers, the Travis Kelseys of the world, they don't come around super often. There's not that many of them. So what could you reasonably expect Dawson Knox to do this year that would keep his position from showing up on the needs list? So here's what I wanted to do. The Bills are an 11 personnel majority team. We know this on offense. That's the way that they were during 2020. And the trend continued in 2021. Now, we did see a brief uptick in 10 personnel in week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But through three games, they've utilized 11 personnel 66% of the time, ninth in the league. So given the fact that one tight end is on the field the majority of the time, 
it appears likely that they're going to end up still being in the top five because the longer and longer you get away from that week one anomaly against the Pittsburgh Steelers, the smaller and smaller portion of the overall sample size that is. So what type of stat lines are you getting from other tight ends who are the predominant target in an 11 personnel offense? Well, what if they're an 11 personnel offense that's tight end centric? Okay, well, let's change that. Let's go look at 11 personnel base majority teams who are targeting the tight end position roughly the same amount of times as the Bills are targeting their tight end position. And let's see how those tight ends are doing. So the Indianapolis Colts have run with one tight end and one running back, a league leading 84% of the time, but they've only targeted their tight ends 20 times in total. Their leading tight end, Jack Doyle, has a 64.3% catch rate and 1.27 yards per route run. The Rams, 11 personnel, 79% of the time. And their tight end, Tyler Higby, has received 100% of the 12 targets they've sent to the tight end room. As a reminder, Dawson Knox has gotten 12 targets. The Bills have only targeted tight ends in total 14 times. That's it. So we're trying to compare apples to apples here instead of apples to oranges. Tyler Higby, Rams tight end, 1.46 yards per route run, 91.7% catch rate. The Seahawks have a 69% 11 personnel usage. And their go-to tight end is Gerald Everett, ironically enough, former Ram, who's received nine of the 14 total tight end targets. Everett, has a yards per route run of 1.08 and 100% catch rate. Nine out of nine. Dawson Knox is right in line. He is right in line with what 11 personnel-based teams who target tight ends fairly infrequently should probably give you. Dawson Knox is not sticking out like a sore thumb at this point as being incredibly inefficient. He's right in line with what you should be. He's right in line with what other tight ends who are in 11 personnel base offenses who target their tight ends fairly infrequently should be doing. So if he continues on this trend and you're done with the year, you can think, okay, yeah, he's fine. He's perfectly fine. Are you going to turn down an opportunity at a world game-changing talent? Of course not. You never do. But you recognize that those people don't come around every time. So you're not going to go out of your way to try and upgrade from a perfectly reasonable piece. That's really the question. Is Dawson Knox a perfectly reasonable piece going into 2022? And my answer is based on a three-game trend, if he continues on this trend, yes. Yes, he's fine. Now, we'll revisit this, obviously, later on down the line. But for now, let's consider this podcast a progress report on third-year breakout watch candidate Dawson Knox And the grade is satisfactory. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We touched on Josh Allen being better against the Washington football team than he was previously, and we touched on a significant breakout candidate for 2021 in tight end Dawson Knox. But let's not move on without touching on some of the other breakout candidates. Tremaine Edmonds. He was fine. One of the stories that is going to start to permeate the space moving forward is the same conversation that started to permeate the conversation about Josh Allen last year. Are you going to extend him right now? So Tremaine Edmonds had his fifth year option picked up by the Buffalo Bills, which means this is the fourth year of Tremaine Edmonds. And then you have next year, which is the fifth year which means if you're going to extend him and get cap relief, you would probably want to do it this offseason. If you want to extend him because you think you know that he's the guy and you're willing to pay him market rate, then okay. But a reminder that market rate for off-ball linebackers, the Darius Lenders of the world, the Fred Warners of the world, is 18 to $20 million a year. So the question is, are you going to pay Tremaine Edmonds 18 to $20 million a year this offseason? That's the question. It's not, are you going to sign him at all because you still have next year? It's not, are you going to let him walk? Because again, you still have next year. It's not, well, are you going to sign him for like $8 million? Because it's, it's not going to be $8 million. That's not going to be the contract. So the parameters are set for the conversation. And the conversation is very specific. Are you going to sign him for this amount this year? That's the question. And it's going to start to get louder and louder and louder in here moving forward. I have gone on record before saying I think Tremaine Edmonds is a perfectly reasonable linebacker. If you held a gun to my head right now and made me decide if I was going to pay him 18 to $20 million a year, I would not do it. But it's going to start getting loud. Tremaine Edmonds was fine. He was fine. Cody Ford, who was arguably the Buffalo Bills' best lineman week one against Pittsburgh Steelers, was not very good against the Washington football team. Now, the Washington football team has really, really strong interior defensive linemen and Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, both of whom did well. But Cody Ford was not great against the Washington football team. Ed Oliver was fine. I don't think he was as good as he was week one. I don't think he was as good as he was week two. But I think this is the hilarious thing about this discussion. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up. So Dawson Knox was good. But three of the four breakout candidates that play meaningful snaps for the Buffalo Bills were not as good this week as they were week one. But the quarterback was markedly better. 
That's the difference between losing to the Steelers and destroying the Washington football team. Is having the quarterback play better. It's the reason why wins aren't a quarterback stat, but they still have a chunk of it. They still have a chunk of response. It's the reason why they get $45 million a year. It's because them playing well can cover a lot of stuff. I don't know if you've seen what has been circulating through social media, but the Kansas City Chiefs draft record since Patrick Mahomes has not been great. But Patrick Mahomes has been so good, he's covered up a lot of flaws. And a good quarterback can cover up a lot of flaws. Now, one of the things that Cody Ford struggles outlined to me that I want to make sure that I talk about is that you really need two men a lot of times to get the desired outcome on pressure if you have good pocket movement. I'll say that again. You need two men to get the desired outcome on pressure. So Cody Ford wasn't very good, but a lot of times Josh Allen was able to maneuver the pocket to make up for the fact that Cody Ford got beat. This is one of the reasons why inversely it's so important that you get multiple people to win on the defensive line. So I want to flip this. I want to use the Cody Ford scenario as Cody Ford didn't play very well, but Josh Allen wouldn't, you wouldn't say he was under duress all day long. Why? Because he was able to make the first guy miss. But let's flip that. If you're the defensive line team and you get one person who's constantly winning, but it's just one person and the quarterback you're going against has good pocket movement, then things like pass rush win rate end up being far away from your actual results, your actual pressures, your actual sacks. Because a lot of time, what's necessary to get the pressure is one man. What's necessary to get the sack is two man. What's necessary to blow up the play is two men getting through, not one. One can impact the play. Two can destroy the play. It's one of the reasons why having two people is so important. Unless your one person is Aaron Donald, unless your one person is just an absolute freak, unless it's Miles Garrett, then you need waves and waves of bodies. Starting to sound familiar? This is the tactic that the Buffalo Bills have used on the defensive line. Waves and waves. We don't necessarily need one star player. I mean, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to turn it down. We need two or three people who can consistently win. It's one of the reasons why Jerry Hughes has historically had a really high pressure rate and the Bills still weren't getting the sacks because the quarterback would just step up because there was no pressure coming from anywhere else. And it's a lot easier to dodge one man in the pocket than it is two. But what we can learn from watching Cody Ford on offense, we can then apply that lesson to watching our own players on defense. Which is, if one guy gets through and you have a quarterback who has good pocket mobility, you could be okay. But if two people get through, then you're in trouble. So a superstar is ideal. But if I can't get a superstar, give me numbers. Give me bodies. Give me as many wins as humanly possible. And when you see a significant gap between a team pass rush win rate, which is based on how often one of their pass rushers beats the block in two and a half seconds or less. It's not based on all. It's based on one. So if you have a team who has a high pass rush win rate, but they have a low amount of sacks, go looking. Go searching for one player on that defensive line who's consistently winning, markedly 
higher rates than their team members. One guy's consistently winning at a much higher clip than everyone else. And that will, that will tell you. That'll be like, okay, that makes sense. This is why as a team, they have a high pass rush win rate, but they're not getting the results. It's because it's based on one player winning and one player winning can be dodged. I saw it with Cody Ford and it kind of tied together some of the narrative that we had been talking about last year as a community when it came to the Bills pass rush. And I wanted to bring that up because I hadn't heard that point discussed. So, one more narrative I want to talk about before we get into plurality pie. And it's Moss and Singletary. So the riding of the hot hand continues. This time, it was Zach Moss. But a thing I want to point out is that riding the hot hand is not possible to the same degree without interchangeability. One of the things we talked about when we were discussing what type of running back we wanted the Bills to go out and acquire to complement Devin Singletary was, do you want a varied skill set? Do you want a running back in that room that has a notably different style than Devin Singletary? If Devin Singletary is a shifty guy, do you want a power back? Do you want a pure speed guy, straight line guy? Like, what do you want? People talk about dynamics of the running back room. Well, I want to add dynamics to the running back room. Do we? Do we want to add dynamics to the running back room? Because one of the things that you can't do if you have different skill sets that are really, really, really different from each other is you can't really ride the hot hand because the same plays that work for Devin Singletary don't work for this fictional other running back that you've got. But because Zach Moss and Devin Singletary have close enough skill sets, it allows you to ride the hot hand and not have to change up your playbook. Well, I want to ride the hot hand, but I also want to run this play. And those two things are incompatible. So if you see something in the defense where, hey, you know, I really like to run this specific type of run. I think they do well if we could run this run. I think my team would be able to perform well. But also, I want to ride the hot hand. And the running back who has the hot hand this game doesn't run that play particularly well. Now it puts you between a rock and a hard place. But if you have running backs who are close enough that they can be interchangeable, you can do that. Specialization breeds predictability. Specialization breeds predictability. We all want our offensive coordinators to always have players do the things they're good at. And that's great. That also makes you more predictable because the defense knows what they're good at. And if you only run certain types of runs when this guy's in and certain types of runs when the other guy's in, that makes it a lot easier. So the interchangeability that we talked about way back when we were drafting Zach Moss, vision and contact balance being the main traits of both Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, albeit in different ways. Now we're starting to see where that comes around. A lot of this podcast today is building on conversations that have been part of this community for the last couple of years. This is the payoff podcast. Probably should have called it that. The payoff podcast. But interchangeability is a good thing because it allows you to ride the hot hand at running back. So, Plurality pie. Josh Allen, number one, 
34%. Cole Beasley, 14%. Emmanuel Sanders got more fantasy points. Cole Beasley was the engine that drove the Bills' offense, aside from Josh Allen on Sunday against the Washington football team. When Josh Allen absolutely needed an answer quickly, Cole Beasley, he was there. Made a couple difficult catches. He was a part of the offense. It should be noted that we're in the third year of Cole Beasley, four-year contract. Part of this offseason discussion, probably going to be about extending him. Sean McDermott, 12%. Let's talk about that end-of-half sequence, ladies and gentlemen. Time management, aggression, fantastic. A very significant difference from last week when it comes to the end-of-half sequence. Sean McDermott is not an overly conservative coach. And when you have a quarterback, you're paying $258 million. You are paying him that because you believe in his ability to get three points here where it matters. We saw with Aaron Rodgers and the 49ers what happens if you leave 30-plus seconds on the clock when you really shouldn't. And that's what we want as Bills fans. We want people to say, don't leave too much time for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills before the half or at the end of the game. And thanks to Sean McDermott, it happened. Micah Hyde, 8%. Jordan Poyer, 7%. Continue to be unbelievably underrated safeties. Y'all know how I feel about Micah Hyde. I think he's one of the most important players on this entire team. I think what he does is extremely valuable given the Bills' intrinsic weakness with speed at cornerback. Jordan Poyer continues to be a playmaker. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde's combined average annual values of their contract is roughly what you would need to pay Tremaine Edmonds. That's important. When you're thinking about how much the Tremaine Edmonds contract might be, it's roughly Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer combined. Zach Moss, 7%. Good for Zach Moss. Good for him. We've seen a lot of running backs not really ever recover from early fumbles, hamstring injuries. It feels like there's some running backs where it's just always something. You know, it's always something. They just can't ever get rolling. And he had a really good game, and I'm happy for him. Other, 18%. Josh Allen, 34%. Cole Beasley, 14%. Sean McDermott, 12%. Micah Hyde, 8%. Jordan Poyer, 7%. Zach Moss, 7%. Other, 18%. Ladies and gentlemen, 100%. Plurality pie in the oven, being baked. It's going to be delicious. We, of course, have a completely ridiculous almighty take from Evan in my email who says, I'm not saying there's any connection, but since resuming absurd almighty takes, the Bills are 2-0. That being said, following a one-sided beatdown of Houston 42-7 and Leslie Frazier swinging the hammer, only Texans score being another special teams mishap, I miss you, my sweet prince, Andre Roberts. Talking heads start talking about the Bills' defense in the same way they did about the 2000 Baltimore Ravens. Matt Milano is the Italian minimalist Ray Lewis with less off-the-field stuff. The Josh Allen MVP business is back and business is booming following a six-touchdown game, four passing, two rushing. In Nick Diaz's voice, where you at, Mahomes? Okay, so another ridiculous take from Evan. 42-7, he says, over the Houston Texans. I will say this. I fully expect another dominant day from the Buffalo Bills defense because if you'll note, one of the things that Bills defense dominant performances have in common 
is they're against less than desired quarterback play. 2021 Ben Roethlisberger, Tua Tungavaloa, Jacoby Brissett, Taylor Heineke, Davis Mills. So yes, I expect a dominant performance from the defense because the only players who have been able to really do well against this defense in the last couple of years have been elite level quarterbacks. So I will decide whether or not I think this defense is their lead or not after watching them against Patrick Mahomes and Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill's not an elite quarterback, but he's a good one. He played pretty well against them last year. So I want to see the Bills defense against those two quarterbacks. And then we'll see. But I would expect another dominant outing from the Buffalo Bills defense against the Houston Texans. We did it. Ladies and gentlemen, we bruised, we exclusived. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.